Welcome to the Glory Podcast. We're so glad that you're listening. Our mission is to declare God's glory. Please visit glorychurchkc.com to hear all of our other messages. Glory family, those who are here, those who are in the back, come on in. Find a space to sit. Those who are watching online, who are listening to this afterwards, it is so good to have all of you. Um, I did a lot of just tedious work this week, um, now that I'm like back in the swing of things. Uh, Took a six-week paternity leave, and one of the things that um, just sort of was like, was me getting... um, the sermons on the podcast. So if you are like a, an avid podcaster and you like to listen to it again or, or you missed a week, they're now there, okay? So I am sorry about that. Uh, they're all there and we are diving right now into uh, the last half of Ephesians chapter five. And if you've never heard uh, the book of Ephesians being spoken, it's okay. We're gonna sit in it together. Uh, but I am excited and honored to be up here. Um, if you were with us last week, we're, this is sort of a part two. Um, But if you weren't here, don't worry. You don't need to know in order to sit with us today. Um, But for those who are new, my name is Greg uh, McKinney. My wife and I are the lead pastors here at Glory Church. And I don't say that in a uh, a prideful way. I say that like we get to serve this place. That's that's, that's our honor and our privilege. And uh, I'm excited to dive into this. If you remember last week, Paul sort of shifts his tone. And it was fun because uh, it was the day I got back from paternity leave was last Sunday. And it was like, okay, I get to shift the tone. Um, And chapter five, Paul gets a little direct. And he says, I need you to begin imitating God as beloved children. And so the whole sermon last week, if you were with us, was about imitating. How do you imitate God? And that is a little direct. He, He knows where he's coming from. If you remember, we dove deep into the like, culture of Ephesus, because anyone who is a writer, you know, you fail at writing if you do not know who you're writing to, right? Has anyone ever received a letter from someone and you're like, and it was in the mail and you could tell instantly that the person had no idea who you were? They just like sent a mass letter out to everyone and you're like, this has, they don't know me. Like one, I'm not a woman, so why am I getting this? And or two, you know, they just don't know me. So why are they writing to me this way? So Paul knows Ephesus, and he knows that uh, the temple of Artemis, you remember I told you, is at the center of the culture of Ephesus. Not only that, but this temple was messed up. Artemis was a goddess of fertility, and she promised a whole lot of things that sometimes would yield results, but it also got you further and further into brokenness and to pain. And so there were temple prostitutes. There were, there were some ache. There were some issues. And I told you, like, uh, he is standing against promiscuity. He's standing against the ways of the world. And he's like, imitate God. And then I sort of ended in this verse. Verse 17 says, therefore, because of all the things that we said last week, he says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And then he says this out of nowhere, and this is how we ended. He says, and do not get drunk on wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And you were with us last week, I just ended it at this be filled with the Spirit, because Paul knows a couple things. He's handing to us a way of life that is very different than the world, and he actually says, I don't just need you to get over or get past your trauma. I don't need you to just stop sinning anymore, but now we got to actually deal with it, handle it, and be healed from it. And so last week, uh, it was a lot of like the empty words that you've believed, all of these things that you've done, move beyond them, and then he knows something about the human heart. Because anyone, uh, let me just be honest, pastor will be real. If you're going to have a hard conversation or you had a hard day and maybe things got brought up, what do you want to do? Like, just pour me a little bit of that drink, right? If you have a hard day, if, you have to, if you're anticipating a hard conversation, if you feel overwhelmed or if trauma from your past is peeking up, you want anything that will speak into your indulgence, that will calm your nerves so that it's a, it takes the edge off of it, right? And so Paul's like, I need you. If you're going to do this, don't get drunk. Be filled with the Spirit. And I ended it in this way that to be filled with the Spirit is to be completed by him, 
right, to be completed by him, which means that you need to own that you are lacking. It needs, you need to recognize that instead of fulfilling your stomach or filling your time, men and women, instead of filling your time with things, being fueled by the Spirit. Instead of filling your stomach, satisfying the pleasure, doling the memories, numbing your anxiety, you seek to be completed by him. And then Paul will shift. And in this section today, he's going to turn his attention to the couples in the room. He's going to turn his attention to the couples in Ephesus. Now, I need to let you know if you are a single person or not married in any way, you are still a part of this. Because what he's about to do in a very beautiful way, let me tell you, it's exciting. What he's about to do is tell you uh, a further way that we imitate the Lord and he's about to show how you're a part of it. Because the whole metaphor, if you know, includes you too. It includes all of us. And so the Lord's going to speak to you. But in this next section, uh, he's not going to take the focus off of everyone. It's still there. But he's going to get a little specific. And I need you to know those who are. Um, Paul knew my married people in Ephesus. You are going to have to learn to be completed by the Spirit if you're going to try to engage in anything with anyone else. Or else you will always try to be completed by them. Anyone? In fact, those who are wanting to date, uh, Paul would be, you need to be filled by the Spirit or else you're going to constantly need to be filled because you're feeling lacking by anyone who will gratify that word, who, who will speak against that lie. But my son defeated the lie. So imitate him. Be filled by him. And so we're going to dive into this. Be completed by the Spirit. Interactions with your spouse, so we're going to get there. We're going to get into motives. Um, but this is where it ended. Sort of cliffhanger. But the verse continues, right? So we're going to literally start here. Be filled with the Spirit. And we're going to move to verse 19. Are you ready? Be filled with the Spirit, Paul says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, being filled with the Spirit, it changes how you address people. It really does. I can, I can take note of when I'm feeling lacking because how I dress people begins to shift really quickly. Anyone else? You're like, ooh, that came out a little harsh. Ooh, that was a little wrong. I'm not singing anymore. I'm not thankful anymore. Uh, if, you see, being filled with the Spirit changes your tone. I was going to try to think of like a fun little acronym for the word sing, but I'll leave that to like miscongeniality, you know. Um, I was going to think of a fun, you know, sing. It looks like this. But honestly, just ask yourself, like, if I was filled with the Holy Spirit, what would I do that my flesh would never want to do? You would shout to the mountaintops, right? You'd probably make melody in your heart. Some of you who never have sung would actually begin singing. There's this vulnerability to singing. Only those who are good at it can sometimes be confident enough to belt, right? Uh, and it's just, it's scary for those of us who are insecure about it. But sing, be filled with the Spirit. And then from that joyous place, verse 21, submitting to one another. I need you to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Verse 22, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I'm going to pause right here for a second. If you know anything about me, you know that I love marriage. I love it. I love weddings. I love doing them. If you're going to get married one day, like, I, I mean, I, I'm okay if you don't want me to, to be a part of it, but I would be honored to be a part of it, to stand up there with you and perhaps you were at last week's, uh, I was able to, to lead the ceremony for Luke and Megan in our church. And they're, I think they're getting back today from their honeymoon. Oh, so don't bombard them, okay? But celebrate them. But I, I brought this text into the ceremony, Ephesians chapter 5. And I did it for a reason because there are, there's a beauty to these profound words. 
But we got to ask, God, what are you speaking? Because I'll let you, I'm, I'll, I'll be the first to say. Um, the poor execution of this chapter, I need you to hear me. The poor execution of this chapter, and then the poor and twisted interpretation of this chapter has led many to have distaste for the actual blunt and freeing words of the Lord. You with me in this? I'm going to say this again. Uh, The poor execution of men leading and women submitting, the poor (laughs) ideas surrounding it has led people to have either a distaste or a very overly rambunctious view of this passage. And each of it distracts us from the beauty, the boldness, who, the bluntness of how firm Jesus is in setting this up, all right? And so I'm really excited because uh, in it, he's setting up roles in his home. He's setting up roles in his church. He's setting up roles in his kingdom. And yes, they are gender-specific roles. And no, they are not to be blurred. They aren't. We'll get into this more and more, but I'm just going to throw a little nugget out at you. Okay, I'm just going to toss it. You can catch it, and then it'll hopefully grow and grow as we keep going. But here's a little nugget. God always assigns roles to the people that he wants sanctified. He does. You can write that down. You can, you can, it'll, so he always applies a role to the people that he wants sanctified. He does. He always. So you want to put that up for them? Uh, it's a role in God's kingdom, if I can just even speak this a little bit more, a role in God's kingdom is a tool of sanctification. So, in fact, like, uh, look in scripture, and the moment God gives a role to a man or a woman in scripture, he calls Israel out, he calls Abraham out. The moment he gives someone, an individual, a role is the moment he says, come, Be part of my plan. Be a part of my plan. Out of your sin and into my healing. Out of your sin and into my holiness. Uh, You see, a role, whenever scripture talks about it, there is sanctification attached to it. That's a scary word and it's big. What it literally means is, hey, you were saved, um, but you weren't changed yet, right? You were redeemed, you were healed, you're heaven bound now. But anyone else, like, you woke up the next day and you still had the same habits, thoughts, patterns, interactions, attractions, like all the things. You still desired the wrong thing, sanctification. God gives a role. Do you know what your first role was? A child of God. And that role sets you up for holiness. Why? Because you're not a child of darkness anymore. So whenever God, and this is a fun way to say it, a role in God's kingdom, anytime you hear it, it is a tool that he is going to use for your sanctification. Beautiful. It really is. But I will tell you right now that very specifically, the enemy hates gender roles. I'll tell you why. Because as man and woman, God created them. And in the most beautiful of ways, they showcase his character. He gave Adam a role, and that role would shine God's holiness. He gave Eve a role, and that role would shine God's holiness, yet the enemy hates at the very basic, you shine the Lord, and he doesn't. And so he attacks roles. He attacks roles. He will attack your identity as a son or a daughter of the Most High. He will attack it. And then we see this word, Submission. He's going to attack it. Why? Because submission is at the core of your role. He's going to attack it because submission is at the core of your role as being a son of God. You're not to submit to a father. Submission is at the core of you being a daughter of the king. So he's going to attack it. And it's interesting, though, because I've gone on this many times. Our broken world uses and abuses that word submit. And the interesting thing is we're going to get into this. And if you will let me deal with you in this, uh, if you'll let me sit with you in it, the word submission is going to be the foundation. It's going to be the foundation of our whole sermon today. 
something that you are called to do and be, uh, no matter your role. Because if God is giving you a role, you better believe there's going to be a submission, right? But it's interesting, that word, if I could just help you out, it's on the slides. That word is two Greek words joined together. The first one is like to appoint or to draw up uh, or, or to establish. And then the second Greek word that's slammed together with it is under the hand of, under the power of, which literally means this. Um, Paul is saying to submit, it means to draw up, to appoint myself under, to establish myself under under the hand and a power of another. And I'm including myself in this because Paul says right here, submit to one another out of reverence to the Lord, to one another. He's literally saying, I need you as you address to people. And this is like me and my brother. This is me and you. It's me and Miss Betty up here. Out of my honor for the Lord, I will submit myself under you. Because that's my role as a child of God. And then verse 22 happens. Now, you will always see me, um, always. I will never, in fact, I challenge you to do this. You will never speak verse 22 without attaching it to verse 21. I challenge you to do this. Wives, submit to your husbands as you do the Lord. You see, a lot of times when we talk about marriage, we start at verse 22, and we lose the intentionality. And you will never see me. And this is, I'm going to get a little nerdy on you, okay? And it's not because I'm a feminist, because I'm not. It's not because I am progressive, because I'm not. What it is, I'm a lover of God's word. And you want to know something really interesting about verse 22? The actual Greek reads this, and I have a little slide of it. Wives to their husbands as to the Lord which if you're in English, makes this much sense. Because in English, in order for a sentence to be a full sentence, it needs a verb with the noun, right? Want to know something cool? Greek, you don't have to have a verb in a sentence. Why? Because there are things called secondary sentences, secondary clauses that are dependent on the strength of the verb in the sentence before it, which is really interesting. Do you want to know what the sentence before it is? Paul says the word submit to one another. And guess what? Your English translators who did the whole work of this, the only reason they knew to add the word submit here is because the verse before it gave them the context as to what to word it. Is this making sense? Which means you accidentally take it out of context if you start marriage with wives submit to your husbands. You take the whole passage out of context because there's no verb without the first command. So if I can just make sense of this for you, wives submitting to their husbands is a truth and a kingdom command that is found under the first command of mutual submission. Practically what this means is as I submit to my wife and her to me, as we go in unity together, now she has an even further role to submit to me as her husband. I submit to her as a kingdom bearer. I submit to her as a child of the Most High. And then, because of our union, she has a further role that I also have a beautiful part in. But it's secondary. I just need to say that. All right. It is. In fact, like if I can just tell you this, to yield a submissive heart is the starting point of holiness. It really is. I will. It is hard to talk to someone who does not have a submissive heart. And it's okay. I just, it's difficult. And the reason it's difficult is because one, like, you want to love them well, and you're trying to, like, realize that they're wounded. There's a reason you don't want to submit, and, it's, and it, sometimes it's valid. You were forced into it. You were pushed. You were, you were shown a wrong way of, of authority, and I mean this in guys and girls. We are all called to submit, and an unsubmissive person is hard to speak to. Though, what, do you know what they crave? They crave to be loved. They really do. 
And so it's this nasty little cycle that the enemy does. So if you know of someone who's, who is unsubmiss- insubmissive, your role is to love them, to submit under them, to, to still be for them. And it's really difficult, but submission is the starting point of holiness. Sometimes the best way to teach it is by showing it, is by showing it. Because trying to be blunt back to them is not very submissive, right? Like, try, so submission you want to know why, like, why the, the sin pattern keeps going on in your life, or why, like, it's just dull at home, or why those thoughts keep happening, why the empty word or the lie is still with you? It's probably a submission problem, that you're not submitting yourself under the church, the very bride that you're to confess all things to. You're not submitting yourself under a brother to say, I need him to sharpen me. You're not submitting yourself under an authority figure to say, like, I can't do this on my own. I need guidance. You're not submitting. Submission, like, moves me into confession, right? Submission is what moves me into humility. Submission is what allows me to produce the fruits of the Spirit. Why? Because I'm submitted under him and it's interesting, it's not a blind submission. Like, quite literally, the word says um, that, that it's submit out of reverence to the Lord. Out of reverence to the Lord. And that word reverence is deep respect. It is worship. And it's the word, actually, some of you are not going to like this. It's the word fear. It's the word that we get phobia from. And what I mean by this is it's not like this, I'm going to fear the Lord as a cause of bad. It is, I have a correct understanding of my lion like God. And he is strong. He is mighty. And I'm not going to just like run up on him. I'm going to walk with reverence in his presence. Why? Because at any moment he can destroy anything. And I'm not afraid that he's going to destroy me because I know he loves me, but I also know he's strong. And so like out of reverence to that lion, I will submit. In fact, last week I shared my testimony, which, um, which I'm sorry it was so long, the sermon. I'll just apologize. It's an ongoing fear that I have that I preach too long. But uh, anyways, I spoke it. And you remember when I said, like, you, you saying, how, aren't you afraid that something is going to happen? Aren't you afraid that people will use things against you? And the reality is when we submit our lives under other people, it gives them the ability to abuse it. It does. But guess what? I do it out of reverence to the Lord because you use my story against me, you got to talk to the lion. You got to talk to the lion about it. Because like, right? Like you, you use my kindness against me. Ooh, it's like heaping burning coals on your head, scripture says. Like you use my submission against me, you've got to deal with the lion. I do it all out of reverence to him. So I will put myself under you. I will, out of deep respect. Paul uses it this way, like to the weak, I become the weak that I might win the weak. So I'm gonna take my right as a Roman citizen and I'm actually gonna put it aside. I'm gonna take my right as an American citizen and sometimes I'll put it aside because it matters not if it makes me put myself over someone. So I'm gonna go under, I'm gonna submit. I'm gonna love well. And it's interesting because reverence will always yield submission. Reverence to the Lord will always yield submission. If someone has a submission problem, they have a fear problem. They really do. It's a reverence problem. They're not seeing Adonai as as the Lord. They're not seeing him as the strong and mighty one. And in doing so, we quench the spirit. We need filling. And man, have I been there when I have a fear problem, when I fear finances, when I fear uh, life situations, when I fear issues, when I fear relational problems, that moment that that happens, my reverence is shifted, and you better believe I'm going to start being a little arrogant or try to take charge of something, and I'm not going to submit. It's true. More specifically, Paul n- knew in Ephesus, I'm about to land them a system, an order. And he knew something. There are so many people in my church at Ephesus, who my little, my, my, my brother Timothy's about to lead. There are so many people who have a wrong sense of gender roles. 
Because Artemis has taught women that they can just speak their mind and their way and destroy anyone in the way of it. Artemis has taught women how to prophesy by a false spirit. Artemis has taught women how to slander or to get their way to protect themselves. Artemis has taught the culture how to use men versus the way that the world typically uses women. Both are wrong. The culture was destructive. And Paul is like, I need you to know right now, we're about to get into this, Artemis is not the head. Christ is. Artemis is not the head who fills all things in all ways, who fuels the body. Christ is. And right, quite beautifully, uh, somewhere, historians don't know, somewhere in time, the shrine of Artemis lost its head. Like, literally. And no one knows why. One day, like, historians just are like, one day it was gone. The literal shrine in the temple at Ephesus, Artemis's head's gone. And it's like, it's because Christ's the head, bro. Christ is the head. But in a similar way, he's about to give a beautiful, beautiful metaphor. And guess what? Men, you are the head. And women aren't. Now, why? You ready? I said that. Why? Is it because they're better? Is it because they're stronger? Is it because they're more able? All of this matters not. Do you want to know why it matters not? It's because Christ has declared, I made Adam to shine my role, and I made Eve to shine my role. I made Adam to showcase this way. I made Eve to shine in this way. Both shine my glory and together they showcase the profound mystery of my redemption. It matters not which is greater because the glory is when they're together. So like honestly, and and to go even further in this, uh, Christ, he, Paul says, the man is the head, and the wife is the body. Women, women are created in my likeness to function as my body. That word head means, yes, body part, the leading body part, but it also means to take responsibility for. It means to, it has the word superior, yes, but it means to take responsibility for. And the most beautiful part of this, um, the head may inform some things, but the body is what moves. And I just, whoa. It's really cool because Jesus knows, like, I'm the head, but my church, my body is the extension of me. Moving and interacting and redeeming and life flows through my body. And so I'll just be specific. Uh, Jesus told the disciples one day, and this is just going to land really well on some of you and others are going to be like, Jesus told the, the, the disciples, he said, you will do greater things than I will. As the head, he said to the body, you will do greater things than I will. You want to know something, men, you should start saying to your wives? Kate, you will do greater things than I ever will. You will. My job is to fuel you to do greater things that I can never do. In fact, like, not even to mention the kids that she's pushed out. I can't do that. Like, right, like, greater things, life comes. But speak to it more. Some of you, and I will speak very boldly, some of you men have squashed the character and giftings of your women because you think it's this hierarchy that if she shines, I don't. No, she my body. And when she shines, I shine. She is the extension of me. And so she's going to do greater things. So I want to cheer her on. She's going to do greater things than me. And you're like, "Ah, Greg, it sounds a little bit like too much for women. Like all you care about is women. Well, listen, verse 25 says, hey, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Are you ready for this? That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. And in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. 
For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it, cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of one body. It's interesting. Um, you could say this sounds like it's all about the woman. It really is in a beautiful sense. My job is to nourish my body. Christ said, I came that she could be redeemed. I came, I, I give my all for my church. Like quite literally, all nourishment goes to her. All cherishing goes to her. That is the direction point. You want to lead like Christ, celebrate the woman. This is a beautiful imagery, but I remember a counseling session. Uh, and I need you to sit with this because this is a little nugget that's going to take it a little deeper, Okay. I was sitting with a counseling session a couple of years ago, and I need you to sit with me in this, okay? A couple of years ago, and a husband and wife were struggling, and I remember the husband feeling distant. He wanted to fix things, but didn't know how to fix things, and he's trying, and I remember the wife being a very, like, matter-of-fact, assured in her voice, and she was more, like, assertive in her tone. And so I remember, like, in the conversation, her saying uh, things like, I just don't know what to do to fix things. Like I strive and I strive and I strive to love him well, to love him like Christ loves the church, but it just feels so daunting. And she just proceeded to tell me, she did, she proceeded to tell me how much they've been fighting about decisions and she's just trying to do the right thing. And it's like, he doesn't seem to care or notice. And from somewhere deep in me, this grumbling starts happening. And I'm like, oh no. And it's not one of the grumblings that you're not gonna go poop. It's not, it's just a grumbling I just knew some, there's wires crossed here. There's something crossed. And then she said one of her statements again. She said, I just don't know how to love him like Christ loves the church. And I blurted it out. Well, that's not your role. And it was like, like, you know, and I was like, and I mean this in a, I mean this in a good way. It's not your role. And I remember like the room shifting because instantly things started making sense. And do you ever like speak to someone and you realize, holy crap, God's talking to me right now? Uh, Because what ends up happening in this is uh, when we actually dive into the roles that we have, healing comes and sanctification comes, something that the enemy does not want. Do you want to know why? If I can just speak to you, do you want to know why a woman is not to love her husband as Christ loved the church? Do you want to know why? Because the wounded heart of Eve, this would press more upon it. I'm going to say this in another way. Want to know why the woman is not to be the head of the home, loving as Christ loves the church? Because it would actually weigh heavily on the wounds and lies that she already bears. Do you want to know why? Because I know my wife. I know my wife really well. And from the heart of a woman, Eve was a woman whose husband was right there beside her when the enemy came to speak, yet he did nothing. He didn't interject truth at all. A woman who had to handle the whole conversation with the enemy herself. And then it was the very woman who then got blamed by the husband for leading him poorly. The heart of a woman, whew, the heart of a woman I only know it because I've, I've shared this. It's the most like profound thing that I love about my wife. You're going to make me cry. I'm not going to look at you anymore. <laughs> what I love about my wife is she has shown me Eve. She has shown me Eve. And what I know to be true about Eve is that she does not trust that anyone will love her first. Because at the end of the day, if there's crap there, who's going to have to deal with it? Eve. It's a lie that Eve believes. I will always have to show up because no one else will. I'll have to figure it out because no one else will. A lie that Eve believes is I won't be seen unless I make myself seen. A lie that Eve believes is that I, I, no one will do it first, so I have to. And if the woman was to love as Christ loves the church, then that lie, she would never be sanctified from the lie that she is actually worthy to be loved first. If a woman was to surrender first, then she would never be sanctified from the lie that she just, she can't trust anyone to handle it, to show up for her. 
if a woman was to empty herself as Christ did, then she would never thrive in the power that Christ emptied for her through her husband. And you want to know why Israel is called a woman? It's because in the very same way, we could not love. We know how to love because Christ loved us first, right? In fact, Israel and their abandoned adulterous ways, right? Like literally adulterous woman is what he called them. Why we are put in that way as, as fallen humans is because we struggle to believe collectively that anything will happen unless we force it to happen. But to rewrite this history, Jesus says, whether you do it or not, I'm dying. Whether you love me or not, I'm, I'm dying. Whether you respond to me or not, I'm dying. Whether you, you, you see it or you aid in it, I'm dying. And whether you want to have a part in it or not, I'm defeating death. Whether you want to have a part in it or not, sin's dead. And this is the role that we get to play. The reason women are not to is because they actually thrive in the power that is displayed by a woman or by a man who says, I will. I will die to myself. I will. I will showcase the strength in this moment. I will put myself on the line. I will empty myself and my, my namesake for you. I will. And what I've learned over time is the heart of a man, you actually are sanctified by taking on that role more and more in the lives of people around you. You saying, I don't feel like it, but Father, take this cup from me at times. But if you say it, I will. And then I do it, and healing happens. I do it, and I watch as the church, my bride, sets off. She is flourished. She is shifted. There is an order to a house. There is an order to a house. Husbands as the head, but to lead like Christ did. And a wife to be the body. You see, I've seen Kate's gifts grow as I've learned to champion her. I have. I have. And some of you say, like, I don't know what it looks like to love Christ men. I don't know what it looks like to love as Christ did. And honestly, that is an okay question. Because then we got something to work with because that is your role, men. And you can do it, husbands. And notice I'm talking, I'm just going to speak husbands. Because some of you try to love your, your girlfriend like Christ loved the church, and that's disorder. Because you're not called. You're called to, you're not, you don't have a role in her life like that. So I'm not talking to you. Men, you can. Do you know, want, want to know why, husbands? Because Christ on a cross, he showcased it, and he's just like, follow me step by step. And when I ask you to surrender, you just surrender. When I ask you to kneel down, you just kneel down. And it's, I, I don't have to learn on my own. I just do what Christ did. And I can because I'm the head. I'm the head. But my role is to champion the gifts and the voice of my wife. I've learned that Kate flourishes. She flourishes when I lead like Christ does. I've been doing this for 11 years. Not the best, but one thing I have learned is I, men, we as husbands squash the identity of our wives if we do not champion them as our body. Because her role is to flourish, to be the extension of me. And if I don't champion, if I don't send all nourishment to her, if I don't send all cherishing to her, then it will squash her identity. And some of you ladies have been in a relationship, a and you are a wife right now. And I just will speak. I'm going to pause right now to speak to you. Uh, we have to, if, if our husbands do not get the lead from Jesus, we still get our lead from Jesus, okay? And, and, the, and what I can say about this is Paul very specifically tells uh, some women in Corinth, if your husband is not a believer, then they're not the head, like, like oh, I'm speaking here, but they are an authority figure in your life. So stay committed with them because one day through your prayers, through your submission, through your eagerness with your husband on earth, he may come to know the one true God. 
And so, get it. Submission to a husband who does not seem worthy is hard. But out of reverence to the Lord, I will pray for him. Out of reverence to the Lord, I will, I will vulnerably show up. I might, there might need to be some, some barriers, some borders that we put, some, some guidelines. I, I, may, I'm, I must get my validation from Jesus before I try to get it from my husband because I know he, can, he cannot be thrived from the Father like I can. And so I, I, will, I will see him clearly, but I will see him. So it's difficult. I get I'm not taking lightly that. But it's a beautiful imagery. All nutrients go to my wife. And the cool thing is over time, as we've gotten to do this well, anyone discover like your body tells you when something's wrong? Some of you like are so headstrong and your back has been hurting for months, and then one day you just can't get out of bed anymore because your body has told you you're done. I have learned my body knows better than my head sometimes of the things going on that need my head's attention. And there's many women in the room, husbands, who have started the speaking and they've been timid because they didn't know they had the ability. They're your body. You're, you're walking on glass. Your feet need to tell you. If you've, you've made a wrong decision with your head, your body is the first to feel it a lot of times. Think about it. She's been hit for a lot of decisions I've made. So I must tend. I must cherish I must send nutrients. I must listen. And now there's a wrong way, obviously, that this is done, but there's a right way. And it's beautiful. And then he ends it in this way, verse 31. Therefore, because of all this, that a man loves his wife as his own body, nourishes her, cherishes her, a man will leave all things from his past and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And then I love Paul so much. He says, this mystery is profound, and I'm actually just talking about Christ and the church. And you're like, what, Paul? He's so nerdy about this that he's jumping in and out of the metaphor because he's writing the truth that was told in Genesis, a man will leave his, his father and mother and become one. But he's on this mindset of how we, as, as, as Christ followers, imitate the Lord. And then he's like just getting a download from heaven. He's like, wait a second. I'm not even talking about husbands and wives anymore. <sighs> Jesus left the Father to cling to you. Boom. He just is, and, and, and like this is the first time this has ever been recorded. Paul is getting the download of this, like from the, from the Lord. This is a profound mystery that the two shall become one, which means she is never without being united to him. That means when she is seen, he is seen. When he is seen, she is seen. The two become one. He's like, I can't anymore. This is profound and I love it. He's like, verse 33, however, like, let me give back. Let each one of you love your, your wives. It's like he goes back into it real quick. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. And this section ends just like that. As we wrap up this chapter, I want to make a little humbling statement. Many of our homes have a disorder problem. Many of our homes have a disorder problem. And at the end of the age, you will still have to take an account of your order. Now, that does not change the role as a child of God, but it does hurt the character of God that we did not showcase very well when we were disordered. And I'll be honest, when you don't showcase the character of God in your role, and you wonder why I can't like, connect with other people, 
it's because you're taking a child of God, but yet you still want to live in sin. And so there's a lack of holiness. There's, a, there's an issue, a submission problem, and then you feel it. You're, you're, there's an issue going on in your home, an order problem. And I will speak this like I'm talking to married people. I'm also talking about single people. Like there's an order problem. Our world likes to say, if you want to live together before you're married, you can still act married and play the role. In fact, like just do it. Like it's the same thing. That's an order problem. Some of you still keep saying, I, I, I am like his wife, but you're not. You have no authority in his life. He has never emptied himself for you. And, and him emptying his seed is not emptying himself, okay? That's a very different thing. And so you have no authority in his life, and he has no authority in your life. In fact, you're dishonoring the authority you do have, we have a disordered home. There's a reason why she's not responding like that well to you. Because you don't actually know how to love her like Christ did because you, you're not her husband. You're not her husband. There's some of you who've been trying to keep life going as if this role that you have that was once on your finger, but now it's tucked away, can just naturally be tucked away too. And though you're maybe gaining ground in the world, you are losing ground in the spiritual. Because your holiness is predicated on the roles that the Lord has given you. And one role that you have is as a spouse, to tend well. Now, divorce is a part of this, I get that, but it's not the heart of the father originally. Now, it is, I get it, he, he speaks to this, but if there is any way for reconciliation to happen, if there is any way for the mutual parties, then I have a role to play in this. Now, divorce, listen to me, if you did it and it was biblical and you had a guideline, that's not, I'm not speaking, you, you have, all right? just going to speak that to you. All right. We have many who are divorced who are living in freedom right now because the Lord, they prayed over it and it was honored by the Lord. I'm just going to move on now. But there is our homes that have an order problem and it stems from a reverence problem. It stems from a fear problem. And I'm just gonna, we fear anything but God. You fear that he will hurt you like your past. So you have a reverence problem. Fear has kept many men sidetracked instead of sending all nourishment to the body. Fear keeps men from sacrificing. Fear keeps women from trusting. It's a reverence problem. Fear keeps Adam from speaking and tending. Fear keeps Eve from hoping Literally, fear keeps Eve from hoping because the hard part about the body of Christ is we can't always see how much our head loves us, but we have to keep operating. Fear keeps women from hoping. Fear keeps man from forcing false power and strength, and fear keeps women from wanting to be over it. Fear keeps men from moving forward, and fear leads women to move. In fact, many of you have ran and are consistently walling to run. Fear, that's a reverence problem, but you don't know my situation. I'm not asking, I'm just asking you to stop running. Go to the Father, let fruit happen, speak. If you're the body that was hurt, speak. Seek healing. We've got pastors who want to counsel. We've got connections to make with you. You running is a reverence problem. Let's deal with it. Find the reconciliation, whatever it may be, and then move in step with the Spirit. Fear. I have a question for you men. Is there a blockage in your body because you are stopping nutrients from flowing? 
Think about it. Is there a blockage in my home? Am I sending nutrients somewhere else? Is there a blockage in my home? Am I sending cherishing somewhere else? Am I cherishing my fill-in-the-blank more than my body? Is there a blockage happening in my body? Is something else commanding my time, my attention? You might be trying to give your body to her, but listen, emptying yourself like Christ did is so much, it's, it's about unity, not pleasure. Nothing about Jesus dying on the cross was pleasurable. It's about unity and not pleasure. So you're like, she won't this, that, that. It's not about this, that, that. It's about you dying to yourself. Well, I keep doing that and nothing happens and we keep doing it and trusting that something will happen. Do you know how many times God chased after Israel and yet she never seemed to want to come back and so finally he was like, great, I'm going to die. And maybe half of them, not even that, right? Like a portion of them will actually care in the end, a remnant. I died for all of Israel, but only a portion care. But I still die, and I will die. And in the same way, wives, has your struggle to, to trust the Father translated in your struggle to trust your husband? Do you fear? Do you, have you been acting first out of fear that he won't? Have you been protecting, walling up, isolating, and sometimes for a good reason? I get it. But this is always going to speak to fear and silence holiness. So we all must meet here in this place where, like, I fear the Lord first. I have reverence to him. Every single one of us, whether you're single or dating, your husband or your wife, you are separated, you are together, you are trying to figure this out, you just had a bad fight today, or your intimacy is way better this year. All of us must meet here where we take a step out of our lies and into submission. Out of our lies and into submission. So I'm just going to invite you to close your eyes. In a second, the, uh, the, uh, the communion little plates are going to be passed to you. Oh, there's pet. And as your eyes are closed, all right? As your eyes are closed, band, you guys can come on up. I don't want you to, don't check out before I ask this question, okay? As your eyes are closed, we're gonna just single it out into one question. How has fear brought disorder to my home? Because, right, it's a fear problem. So we're going to just start here. This is the most basic thing. How has fear brought disorder into my home? Thanks for listening to the Glory Podcast. For more information about this message or Glory Church, please visit glorychurchkc.com.